Anyone a fan of box sets? Anyone currently watching or has just finished watching a box set at the moment? Anyone ever sat down and watched a box set or gone through it? Okay, yes, I thought it was a fairly common thing. I, I'm a good fan of box sets. I, I love a good box set. And um, it kind of, sometimes it feels a bit like 90 hours of your life that you never get back. Um, but usually, if it's a good one, then it's really good. Um, but what, what we see is the phenomenon in our culture of box sets uh, growing and go, turning into sort of several multiple series and seasons, don't we? And I've got a theory about box sets, you see. I've got this theory that um, they start well, they get really good, and then they start to tail off a bit. Are you with me? So maybe by the third, fourth season, you've got a change in writers. Maybe you've got kind of a particular fan base. And I think they start playing to, to those writers. And uh, so they kind of start to lose a bit of their cutting edge. And my theory is that season one is good. It's the initial one. It's when they kind of introduce the whole concepts and the characters. And then season two is where it peaks. Season two is like the best uh, one. And then season three, season four, season three starts to tail off a little bit. Anyone kind of, anyone with me on that? Good. Yeah, okay. So a few people can, can understand where I'm going from. Season two is often the peak one. So today we're going to look at a box set, um, which is Paul's missionary journey. <laughs> and we're in season two, which is great. We've, we've had season one over the last few uh, weeks and months. We've been working through Acts. Um, season one was Paul's first missionary journey, where he went to Cyprus. Uh, he had some adventures there, saw some great things happen, saw the gospel spread. Then he headed to Asia Minor, um, which is kind of southern Turkey, planted a load of churches in a, a place called, um, places called Lystra, Derby, um, Iconium, places like that. Uh, the Galatian churches, he planted those, established those. And then went down to Jerusalem, had some adventures down there, um, enjoyed, well, enjoyed kind of meeting the other apostles like Peter um, and James, and also had the, uh, the Council of Jerusalem that I believe you were hearing about last week from Andy. Um, and so this, this kind of season two of his adventures, of, of, of his um, missionary journey, it comes immediately after that. So that's your little previously on Paul's missionary journey, okay, that's where we've come from, and now we're embarking on, on season two. And um, what we're going to do this morning is, is have a look at uh, a few episodes, because you never really just watch one episode, do you, of a box set? You kind of watch one, and then you end up watching a few, don't you, in one sitting, that tends to be how it works. So we're going to watch a few, hopefully, uh, if we've got time um, this morning. And what we're going to do is go through each episode, have a look at what's going on, um, I'll explain a bit of the background, there'll be some things to draw out, and then we'll, we'll take a step back, look at what we've seen, and uh, see what God is saying. So I think there's some kind of more broader points that I think God wants to, to, to bring out to us. So if you're following in your Bibles, um, Acts 15 and 16 um, is the place to kind of keep your Bibles open on. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a few um, episodes uh, in this second journey of Paul. And um, I don't know if you know, with box sets, the episodes always have quite cryptic names. Have you noticed that? They're kind of, each episode has got its own little, little cryptic name, and you have to watch the episode to see what it's all about. So we've got a few cryptic names here uh, in the episodes that we're going to be looking at um, today. Um, so are you ready to dive in? Season 2, Episode 1? Yeah. All right, here we go. Paul's Mystery Journey, Season 2, Episode 1. Paroxysmos. <laughs> That's the name of Episode one. And uh, the action for this episode takes place uh, right there. Um, it's, it's probably too small to read, but that arrow is pointing to Antioch or Syrian Antioch, which, um, as you remember, where we've got to now in the story of Acts, 
you've got the initial uh, church that's formed in Jerusalem, predominantly Jewish church, uh, led by Peter and James. We've seen a number of things happen there. Um, and then the, the gospel is spread up, um, up the coast, into Syria, and Antioch has become a real center of, of the church. Antioch is a big multicultural church. Um, cr- uh, we were first called Christians in Antioch, uh, and so it's kind of, it's this big um, a big established church, and it's become a, a sending base for Paul and Barnabas for their ministry. So, um, th- so the first episode of this second season um, starts there in Antioch. Okay, so let's read Acts fifteen thirty six. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing." Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, that was in season one, and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, so episode one of uh, the second missionary journey starts with a bit of drama, bit of drama. There's tension going on here between the main characters. Paul and Barnabas are, by this time, old friends, old campaigners. They have been on a number of adventures together. They have taken the gospel to new places. They have seen God do some phenomenal things. They are an amazing team. They are brothers in arms together as ministers uh, to the gospel. But then they have this, this argument. So um, John Mark is another character here who gets introduced. Um, this guy, John Mark, appears a number of times in the New Testament. He is the Mark that wrote Mark's gospel. Okay, so this is who it's talking about when it says John Mark. This is the, this is the Mark who wrote Mark's gospel. He was a Jerusalem Christian. His uh, mum was part of the Jerusalem church. He was a, 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 you know, one of the characters who crops up a few times in the New Testament. But what happened last time is that he, as it says here, he left them in the middle of their journey. He left them, and obviously Paul felt that he'd abandoned them. He'd, he, 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 he couldn't hack the pace. Um, he... So he abandoned. And so Paul is obviously fairly uncompromising and thinks, no, no, we don't want to take this guy because we need someone who can, we can rely on. Now, also, we know from, um, fr- from the kind of wider background in the New Testament that Mark is actually Barnabas' cousin. Uh, these guys are related. Uh, this is his cousin. And so Barnabas, also who we know is called the son of encouragement, he obviously he kind of believes in him. He thinks he's ready for another chance. He wants to take him with them. Um, but Paul is uncompromising. Now, the fact that they had this conversation, the fact that they discussed it, the fact that they disagreed on it, is not really the main story here in this episode. It's the way that they had it. It's the nature of the argument that is the story here. And this Greek word, paroxysmos, is the word that is used to describe the sharp disagreement that they had. Um, Any medics recognize that word? So it's kind of from, if, correct me if I'm wrong, it's from the kind of world of medicine which is to do with like respiratory kind of um, conditions and it kind of means um, like a sharp uh, 
sudden attack or a convulsion, like a coughing fit, something like that. Apparently, there's a, I'm told that there's a, a, a kind of word, something to do with paroxysmos that's used in medicine. I don't know whether that's right or not. But, but that, that's what that word means in the Greek. It, it almost speaks of like a convulsion or a sudden attack. So it kind of suggests not just a conversation between friends, but red faces, red faces, heightened emotions, loud voices, a real, a real conflict situation. Now, what's the preacher's role in this situation? What, what's the preacher to say about a passage like this? Am I to say, oh, you know, this is good, it's righteous anger. Paul, you know, he's an he's a uncompromising man. No, my job here is to tell you, sadly, that this is a low point. There's nothing short of a low point in the story of Acts. This is not some kind of righteous anger that's justified. This is two friends losing their rag with one another. And, you know, what's interesting about this is that Luke, who's writing Acts, he's the editor here. He can choose exactly what we hear in the story. So why is it that he chooses to tell us about this? He could have just said, Paul and, Paul and Silas went this way, Barnabas and Mark went that way. But he tells us about this, this argument. Why? Well, I haven't got a definitive answer, but I can suggest that perhaps what we can learn from this is it just reminds us that Paul and Barnabas are human. Okay, we tend to think of these amazing kind of pillars of the early church, these incredible men of God who kind of tend to find them almost unrelatable to ourselves because they seem on such another plane of walking with God. And yet here we're reminded now that these are two guys who are human. They're liable to make mistakes just like we are. And also it kind of reminds us that when Christians are on mission together, when we're ministering together for the gospel, it can be intense. Your tensions can be high. I don't know if you've ever done like a short-term mission trip or something like that. It can be quite an intense environment. Uh, and and that, that, was, that was what happened. There was an intensity about kind of what they were doing and they just had a bust up. And so just to be really clear, this is not a moment of great example from Paul and Barnabas. But what else can we get from this? It's not just kind of, a, oh dear, they had a bit of a spat. That's bad, isn't it? Let's move on. What we, what we can gain from the wider picture of the New Testament is how these guys moved on from this point. Okay, so we have a sad story. They parted company. They went in separate directions. But what then happened? What of their relationship? Did they never talk to each other again? Did, were they suddenly kind of completely estranged for the rest of their lives? Far from it. What the rest of the New Testament shows us is that they resolved their differences, is that they found a way of reuniting, of being re, uh, reconciled and reunited in the mission that God had for them. We're told in, um, late, later on, uh, when Paul is in prison in Rome, much later in the story, we're told that Barnabas is there with him. Barnabas is there, back by his side, reunited, brothers together in the mission once again. What's even more incredible is that we're told in 2 Timothy 4.11 that Paul writes to Timothy and he pleads for Mark to be sent to him and it says, because he is useful to me. So incredibly that Paul, who kind of rejected Mark, thinks, no, he's, he, he, he hasn't got what it takes, he's a quitter. Later on he's saying, please send Mark to me, he's really useful to me. So there's an amazing story there in terms of Mark obviously grew, his little mission to Cyprus, 
he, he, kind of, he, he did come through. He grew. He obviously overcame his fears. As we know, he went on to become a gospel writer. This, this guy played his part in, in God's mission. And they were all reconciled. They were all worked it through. What can we learn from this episode? What's the take-home message? Well, Christians are not perfect. I hope that's encouraging. <laughs> Christians are not perfect. None of us are perfect. Even great leaders uh, can get it wrong sometimes. Because we're human, arguments and disputes can happen. And, uh, you know, that they will happen at some point. Um, arguments, disputes between each other can happen in the church. But it's how we resolve them that counts. And, you know, relationship is central. Relationship between Christians, unity between Christians is absolutely central. And it's the thing for us to prize and the thing for us to work towards. These guys must have had quite a lot to work work through in their relationship after this parting but what we know is that they did they managed to work it through they had the maturity they had the the humility they had the love to be reconciled to one another and to resolve the issues so season two episode one ends with a change of personnel paul takes silas the church agree they commend them they send them off and off they go. Should we watch another episode? Yeah. Come on then, let's watch another episode. Season two, episode two. This one is called Circumcised. <laughs> okay, the action here has moved on to um, that place is Lystra, which as you can see is in, in Galatia. So this is the region of the churches that Paul and Barnabas planted in the first episode, first season, sorry. And they've now moved across to uh, Lystra. So let's read um, from Acts 16 verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Okay, this is uh, the second episode. And on On the surface, there's nothing strange here. Paul meets a young leader in one of the churches. He's spoken well of. He wants to take him along, presumably to train him up but also because he's got some potential to be useful in in the ministry, the mission that Paul has. Perhaps he saw him as a bit of a successor to John Mark. But the big story here, of course, is the fact that Paul got Timothy to be circumcised before he took him on his journey. Now, what's so strange and so controversial about this is that this is the same Paul who earlier had written the whole book of Galatians to these churches precisely to tell them the exact opposite. Precisely to say, you don't need to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. You people who are from non-Jewish backgrounds, you do not need to go through this Jewish ritual in order to accept Christ. You can accept Christ as you are. That was the whole message of Galatians. Then he's going to visit them to take a letter from the Council of Jerusalem with exactly the same message. (laughs) You don't have to be circumcised. You can uh, believe in Christ as you are uh, and and, and, and you, can, you can accept it by faith. 
So why on earth is he getting Timothy to be circumcised? This seems like a complete kind of a hypocritical move. Well, the issue here is one of credibility. This is the reason why he's getting Timothy to be circumcised. Timothy's mother um, was Jewish, but his father wasn't, was not Jewish. Now, in that culture at the time, to the hardline Jews in the area who Paul was trying to reach, this area had a lot of really hardline Jews who kind of were struggling to accept the gospel. Paul wanted someone who could really appeal to them. And Timothy, with a Greek dad, would have been seen as these Jews as illegitimate as a Jew. He wouldn't have been accepted as a Jew. This was important for the mission. So in order for him to be circumcised, to give him a good standing and to give him credibility among the Jews that he'd been ministering to, Paul got him circumcised. So just to be clear, this was not because Timothy needed to do this in order to become a full member of God's people. Absolutely. (laughs) But because it was going to be much easier to advance Paul's mission if his companions would be able to be seen as proper Jews. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense. What do we get from this? Well, credibility is actually an important part of our mission. Okay, us as Christians, we are all ministers of the gospel. I'll do a slightly Pentecostal thing. Say, I am a minister of the gospel. gospel. Amen. Amen. It's true. It's absolutely true. Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, whether you're at school, whether you're a, a, a mum at home looking after kids, whether you're in the workplace, whatever you're doing, you are a minister of the gospel. You are, uh, as a Christian, that is, that is who God has made you to be. And, and actually, whoever we're reaching, wherever our context is, it's important that we have a credibility uh, sorry to do the kind of whole kind of uh, the Greek root of the word thing, but it can be helpful sometimes. The Greek root of the word for credibility, it's actually not Greek, comes from Latin, but it comes from something, uh, a word called credo or credo, which means faith. This credibility is about being believable. It's about being believable to the people that you're, that you're trying to reach. What does this look like for us? Well, I guess the classic kind of bad example would be a Christian in the workplace that takes every single opportunity to preach to people but doesn't do their job very well. That's a, that's, that's a, a not very credible gospel minister. And that's what we don't want to be. In order to be credible ministers of the gospel, if you're in a job, that means knuckling down, doing your job really well, working at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, seeing your job as worship, wanting to do the best, wanting to honour God, wanting to, um, to do a good job, wanting to bless and encourage your fellow workers by, by doing a good job with integrity and honesty. A Christian like that has got credibility. If you're in a workplace and you work like that, your, your colleagues around you who don't know Jesus will see that and be attracted to him. And as a gospel minister, you then have that credibility for then when an opportunity comes to speak, to share the gospel, to share what you believe, then they will want to listen to you because you have that credibility. Should we do another episode? Let's do another episode. Let's go. Episode three. Okay, this one's called 600 Miles and Counting. And the, uh, like I said, you've kind of got that thing where you're like, should we do another episode? It's getting a bit late. What do you think? Oh, okay, go on, let's do another episode. Have we still got the energy to keep going? Great, good stuff. 
So here we have the action in this episode takes place across that red bit of the map there, which is what was called Asia at the time, um, all the way across where the red line goes up to the north and then, and then lands where the big red arrow is, which is in Troas. Okay, so we are now reading from Acts 16 and verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what's going on here? Well, we see the incredible guiding hand of the Holy Spirit. Um, I love the fact that this season starts with Paul saying to Barnabas, should we go back and visit the believers in the towns that we preach to? Should we go and see how they're doing? Let's go and see how they're doing. And then they do that. And then obviously they're at a place where they're like, okay, what should we do now? We've been to Galatia. We've visited the churches. We've strengthened them. What, what now? And obviously Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these guys want to see the gospel spread. They want to see Jesus' glory across the whole earth. So their desire is to go and reach a new place. Their desire is to go and reach new ground. They want to go into Asia and preach the gospel there. But incredibly, it says the Holy Spirit prevents them from doing it. So then they start to go on this journey. And they're, as they're going, they're work, trying to work out where are we supposed to be going? Where is God sending us? What are we supposed to be uh, doing? Who are we supposed to be reaching? Incredible thing about this is that we're talking the whole of the kind of um, region of Turkey, pretty much, that they walked across on foot. This would have taken a couple of weeks, probably, best part. And all the time, they don't really know where they're going. <laughs> they don't really know what, what they're doing or where they're going. And it's like God guided them. He hemmed them in and he, he led them. And eventually they ended up in Troas, which is 600 miles from the place they set off. I'm sure they never would have imagined. When Paul said to Barnabas, should we go and see how the churches are doing? I'm sure he never imagined that they'd end up here, let alone all the other places they end up going to. What we see here is that these guys, again, as gospel ministers, in terms of stuff we can take from this, they were looking for the guidance of God. They had a posture of openness towards God. Their posture was they had open ears. They were, they were, they were eager to hear where God would have them go. They were listening, they were responsive, they were attentive, and they were also active. They went and pushed at doors. They literally walked miles. And then when, when doors were closed, they saw it and knew it as God's guidance. And the Spirit was guiding them. We don't know how, we don't know whether this was dreams, visions, whether it was prophetic words, whether it was interpretation of events. All we know is that the Spirit was guiding them very clearly until this point where they're in Troas and Paul has this dream. And then there's a sense of, okay, this is where we're going. Clear, supernatural guidance. Go to Macedonia. That's the place that I have for you. Should we do one more episode? 
One more episode. Let's go for it. Okay, this is season two, episode four. This one's called Purple Cloth Lady. (laughs) Okay. Um, Purple Cloth Lady takes place, as you can see, they've now come an awful long way. They're right out of um, uh, kind of anywhere that they've really ever been before. They've taken the Gospels to completely new ground there in Macedonia. You might not be able to see there, but they are in Philippi. That is the place they have landed, Philippi, the Roman uh, colony in Macedonia. So uh, Acts 16, verse 11. Let's read this, this last bit. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman of the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So by this time, Paul has assembled a bit of a dream team on his uh, missionary journey. Okay, He's got Paul, Silas, Timothy, and someone else joins them now. Anyone know who that is? Well done, Andy. Do you notice how the narrative changes at this point? And it becomes we, the language of we, from Shoaz, we put out to sea. We went on to Neapolis. Of course, this Acts is being written by Luke. So Luke joins the crew in Troas. Okay? We don't know why he was there. We don't know how that happened. But Luke is now with them. He's, 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 he's speaking from personal experience uh, because he's now with Paul and the gang. It's just as well that he's assembled a bit of a dream team because, let's face it, this is new ground now. This is, this is totally kind of cutting edge. The gospel has never been to Macedonia before. This is, this is like, um, this is kind of the edges of Europe uh, now that, that, that the gospel is, is reaching. And their usual missionary methods um, would be that they would go to a town, they'd go to the synagogue, and then they'd wait for etiquette to kick in and be invited to speak as visiting teachers. And then they'd have an opportunity to open up the scriptures and show how Jesus fulfilled them. And that would be how they would start in every single town that they went to. Problem is, the further that they got from Judea, the fewer the number of Jewish people that there were. Ten was the minimum number of men needed to form a synagogue. And clearly, in Philippi, big city though it was, there weren't even ten Jews. So there was no synagogue. They couldn't just go and do their normal thing. They were like, what do we do? How do we reach this city? They walked into this huge Roman colony, an absolute center of, 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 of emperor worship, a pagan city, without even 10 Jews there. They had no kind of starting point. So what did they do? They looked for a place of prayer. They looked around the city. They searched for a place where they would be likely to find people who were open. They looked for the people who were, let's say, spiritual but not religious. You know a lot of those people, don't we? know a lot of those people. And um, in, in a city like Philippi, that's where they gathered. They gathered just outside the city by the river and had a place of prayer. 
And they found one such person who was very open in this lady, Lydia, who was a woman of some means. Uh, She had a house that was large enough to put them all up in. Um, She dealt in this purple cloth that we know was this kind of quite um, high-end in the market kind of thing that that she did. Uh, and so um, she, she was a, a, a woman of, of some means, and she came to faith, and her house became the first meeting place for the Philippians church. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be hearing of what happens next in the story. So, season two, episodes one to four. It's, it's two in the morning. We've binge-watched a load of episodes and then you do that thing, don't you, where you go to bed and you kind of, you sort of dream about the box set and you try and get to sleep and you're dreaming about the characters and you're kind of reflecting on what happened and you're thinking, wow, so many, oh, there was that theme going on, okay. And that links into here. And you're kind of wondering, you know, what's happening, what, what were the themes explored? Um, so let's do that. <laughs> let's do that together now. Let's just kind of reflect back, step back, look at this kind of quite a lot of ground we've covered in terms of these, these episodes and let's see what God is saying to us in these last few minutes. Basically, there's two things. Here is what I'm going to say in one sentence. First thing is that the church needs the gospel as much as the world needs the gospel church needs the gospel as much as the world needs the gospel. And the second thing is that the world needs the spirit as much as the church needs the spirit. All right. The big theme here in these first couple of episodes is Paul's desire to go and visit the churches that he planted to see how they're doing and to strengthen them. His desire is to strengthen the churches that he has founded. And we see that this has happened, don't we? We see that he goes and visits the churches, and it says they were strengthened. It says um, that they were strengthened, that they grew in numbers because they were strengthened. Now, what is it that strengthens the church? Obviously, a visit from your apostolic founding father is going to be a strength. Okay, so for us, like when we have like a Terry Virgo or a, a Dave Devonish come and visit us, which sometimes happens. You know, it's a strengthening thing. And the last October, we had Terry come for the weekend. Just a beautiful time. Just felt like we were strengthened by receiving a father in the faith like that, someone who'd kind of founded, founded the family of churches that we're part of. So obviously, that's going to be a strength. But also, of course, they were going to deliver the letter from the council in Jerusalem. And it says, when Antioch received this letter, it says that they were glad for its encouraging message. What's so encouraging? Well, as we, as we touched on earlier, the Galatian churches had been planted. They'd heard the gospel. They'd come to faith. They were a mixture of Jewish and Gentile background people. Then after Paul and Barnabas had left, some other guys turned up. And these were Jewish hardliners. And they came and started to teach to the church and tell them that they needed to be circumcised or that they needed to become Jews in order to then fully become Christians. So they'd heard one gospel... And then they'd heard another one, and they were confused. They were perplexed. They were trying to work out, what are we supposed to do? Do we need to take the law on as well? Do we need to become Jews? And this was the issue that the council in Jerusalem had debated, and they decided that it wasn't necessary. Uh, James said 
during the council in, back in chapter 15. He says, we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles that are turning to God. And the letter that they wrote then says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you. This is the heart behind the council of Jerusalem. Um, so what the letter confirmed was that you don't need these extra things. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to become a Jew. You don't need to take on the law in order to be acceptable to God. You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So basically what happened was they heard the gospel, they heard another gospel, and then they heard the true gospel again. It was the gospel that strengthened the churches. And um, as I said, Paul had already written the whole book of Galatians to these churches to encourage them about this. And do you know what's cool about when you read through Acts and the, whole, and the rest of the New Testament? See, Acts is like the box set. Acts is the episodes, is the kind of action you read through and you see what happens. And then when you read the rest of the New Testament epistles, that's like the bonus features. That's like the kind of director's commentary and the detailed kind of making of documentary. And it gives you a tremendous amount more insight into the actual story of what's happening. Just, just an encouragement, it's, it's, it's brilliant to read the New Testament epistles and Acts side by side because it really gives you so much insight into what's going on here. And similarly, I'd encourage you, read Galatians, man. Read Galatians. This, this is so relevant to what's happening here in this, um, in, in this story. These young churches have been confused, disturbed by false teachers. And Paul writes them in Galatians. And this is what he says. He says, no, 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 no. You do not need to take on the law. Because in the gospel, we have liberty from sin. We've, we've been set free We've been liberated. We do not need to take on the law again. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are now children of the promise that was given to Abraham. You don't need to become a Jew and obey the Jewish law. You just need to believe in Jesus. Just believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it, friends. That's all you need to do. That is the gospel. You believe in Jesus, receive him, receive the spirit that he gives you. And then you can live by the Spirit. You don't have to live by law. You just live by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in you, who, who God has put in you. The law has done its job to make us conscious of sin, to bring us to Christ. We now have him. So don't boast about what you do. Don't boast about uh, the good acts that you do. Boast in Jesus. Boast in the cross. These kind of things are the message that Paul teaches in the book of Galatians. And we need to hear this stuff again and again. Okay, this, this, is, this, is, this is for us now. This is landing it for us. We need to hear the gospel. We need to be strengthened by the gospel again and again. And learn to apply it to our lives again and again. And make sure that we're not adding anything to it. Um, the verse that Becky referred to earlier, um, Hebrews 13 verse 9 it says this, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It's good for your hearts to be strengthened by grace. If you wake up in the morning and you feel excluded, which I know loads of us do on a regular basis, you feel defiled, excluded, guilty. You know you failed, you know you messed up, you know you've fallen into sin, you know you did something wrong. And you wake up in the morning and you, you don't feel great about yourself. 
what do you do? Get your heart strengthened by grace. And this is something we can all do on a daily basis, something that we need to do on a daily basis. We need to learn to eat grace for breakfast every single day in order to stand firm in it. It's grace that has saved us. That's the gospel. Nothing else. Nothing else. We don't need to add anything to it. How do we add things to it? Sometimes we fall for the law again, don't we? We feel excluded, we feel bad, we feel far from God, and we say, okay, I just need to try harder. I just need to, I need to work my way back into God's good books, or I need to discipline myself really, really hard. I need to try harder. I can do this. And that's falling back into law. Paul talks about falling away from grace. And this is what he means. He means forgetting the basis of your salvation and going back to trying to do it yourself, trying to please God in your own strength, with your own acts. But grace, the message of grace, is that we get a second chance. In fact, we get a million second chances. That's the incredible thing about it. We, we mess up. We fail. We don't get it right. We make mistakes. And yet, God takes us back. We come back to the cross. We confess our sins. We receive his forgiveness. We stand in grace. We stand in grace. Every single morning, you can wake up as a Christian and know that Jesus is your righteousness. And that doesn't change by what you do. We stand in grace. And we need to let our hearts be strengthened by grace. And that's something that happens, as we've experienced today already, when we come together and when we worship. God comes, he strengthens us again. But it's also something that we can, we can do, we can kind of train ourselves to, to do. We can train ourselves to orient ourselves to, to live in this daily. How do we do this? We spend time with God. It's just really, it's just making it really practical, okay? And I'm not just, don't hear me wrong, I'm not giving you a list of laws. This is the fragile balance in the whole thing. This isn't about a list of laws in order to gain your way back into God's favor. These are just practical things that you can do to help to remind yourself of the grace of God. Spend time with God every day. Wake up in the morning and it's not like, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go and spend time with God. Okay, how am I going to approach him? And you spend time with God by saying, okay, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you've provided for me. Just start thanking him. Thanking, thank him for the weather. Thank him for a good night's sleep. Thank him for the fact you've got a roof over your head. And then thank him for the cross. Thank him for what Jesus has done. Thank him for the fact that he so loved the world that he gave his son so that I could live. I could have eternal life. Feed yourself with the gospel. Eat grace for breakfast gospel strengthens the church we're sort of running out of time here i've got a load more stuff um but unfortunately we're not really going to have time for it the only thing to say is that um the spirit is also active in the world the spirit is active in the world um he's the great mission strategist okay so we see in the second part that the spirit really guides the church and he knew what he was doing 
Uh, he knows exactly where he wants to send people. He knows exactly where people are open in the world. He knows exactly where, how he can use you, and he's willing to send you to the right people. Don't you love the fact that he gave Paul a vision of a man of Macedonia, and then he sent him to a woman of Asia? <laughs> it's just kind of seemingly random. Like We can sometimes think, okay, we've got to be strategic about our mission. Let's, let's do this, and let's go here, let's go here. And God knows, no, no, I want you over here. <laughs> and sometimes just God can guide us, and uh, we just need to be open to him guiding us. We need to be open. Um, just two really quick uh, verses on that. Proverbs nineteen twenty one: Many are the plans of a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Paul and his chums wanted to go to Asia, but the Lord said, no, no, I'm taking you round the long way and you're going to Philippi. The other thing is um, just a, a lovely verse from 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And Lydia was one such person. She was a worshipper of God. She didn't know about Jesus, but she knew God in her heart. She wanted to reach out to God. She was hungry. And when she heard the gospel, there's this lovely phrase, the Lord opened her heart to receive the message. She was ready to hear the gospel. She was ready to, to be a part of God's family and to come in to, to have faith in Jesus. And the Spirit knows. The Spirit searches throughout the earth. He's looking for people whose hearts are orientated towards God. Now, I know we can feel, can't we, sometimes that it's tough being Christian in our culture. Uh, the, you know, the culture is increasingly anti-God. There's legislation going against Christian values. There's the rise of atheism. Um, apathy is the spirit of the age. These things are all true. You know, you look at on one level and it, it, it's tough. But there's also many, 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 many people who are hungry and who are open, just like Lydia, who are ready to um, come to faith and God can lead them to you. So just really quickly on that, we need to have open ears. We need to have open ears to the Spirit and be ready for him to guide us wherever he is taking us. And then open hearts. We need to look for the people who have got open hearts and be open to God guiding us and using us to, to reach them as well.